Welcome to Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup. Here's a look at some of our Caribbean headlines for today. Dominica and China signed visa waiver agreement. Bank of Jamaica closer to rollout of digital currency. U.S. Federal Emergency Management Agency approves massive replacement project of U.S. Virgin Islands' entire wastewater system. U.S. Environmental Protection Agency initiative to reduce lead exposure includes underserved communities in Puerto Rico. French Caribbean Territory Islanders furious with the French state and Barbados's government annual fossil fuel bill unsustainable. These and other stories on today's Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Tuesday, November 23rd. We start a report today in Dominica. Dominica News Online reports that the Commonwealth of Dominica and the People's Republic of China signed an agreement for visa-free travel between the two countries on Monday, November 22nd. Prime Minister of Dominica, the Honorable Roosevelt Skerritt, His Excellency Ling Xinjiang, Ambassador of the People's Republic of China to the Commonwealth of Dominica, signed the new protocols which apply to Dominica passport holders of all categories. The visa-free agreement takes effect immediately. Prime Minister Skerritt said the agreement on mutual visa exemption will enhance relations between China and Dominica. These bilateral relations were entrenched in our recognition that there is but one China and that we have said many times Dominica will assist where it can in a peaceful reunification of China, Mr. Skerritt commented. China's new ambassador to Dominica, His Excellency Ling Xinjiang, said, We want to push our bilateral relations to new heights and to facilitate international travel between our two peoples. I wish, with this agreement coming into effect, that the bilateral relations can be heightened further. The people-to-people exchanges can be made closer and we can bring our friendship to a new level, he said at the signing ceremony. Dominica and China formally established diplomatic relations in March 2004. Jamaica Information Service reports that the Bank of Jamaica is slated to commence a national rollout of the central bank digital currency platform during the first quarter of 2022. Deputy Governor with responsibility for banking currency operations and financial markets, Natalie Haynes, says it is anticipated that by then additional deposit-taking institutions will be onboarded to enable the issuing of wallets to facilitate an expansion of the number of individuals and businesses utilizing the currency. National Commerce Bank is currently the sole deposit-taking institution participating in the Central Bank Digital Currency Pilot in Jamaica, which commenced in June and is slated to conclude in December. Speaking during the Bank of Jamaica Monetary Policy Committee Digital Quarterly Media Briefing, On Friday, November 19th, Ms. Hayes said the National Commercial Bank has developed its wallet and has begun testing the facility. She indicated that the bank is doing so with staff and their family members, adding that we're going to roll that out before year end to other account holders, namely individuals and small merchants. 
The deputy governor said these merchants include vendors, hairdressers, and barbers, adding that they will be doing testing in terms of person-to-person -person and person-to-business transactions. In addition, they are going to be testing cash-ins and cash-outs at the automated banking machines. Ms. Hayes told journalists that the Bank of Jamaica has also developed a wallet for its staff, adding that its inoperability with national commercial banks will be tested come December. An important component to any central bank digital currency is for there to be inoperability between all wallet providers, she further indicated. Central bank digital currency is a digital form of central bank-issued currency and therefore is legal tender that can be exchanged dollar for dollar with physical cash. Households and businesses will be able to use central bank digital currency to, among other things, make payments as now obtains with cash. Central bank digital currency is backed by the issuing central bank and is issued to authorized financial institutions, including deposit-taking institutions, on a wholesale basis as is now being done with physical currency. The anticipated benefits from the central bank digital currency for Jamaican citizens, businesses, and the government include increased financial inclusion, as it will provide another easier to access Access means of efficiency and secured payments. For deposit-taking institutions and the Bank of Jamaica, central bank digital currency presents an opportunity to improve cash management processes and cost. The Virgin Islands Consortium reports that the U.S. Virgin Islands Office of Disaster Recovery has announced that after three years of negotiations, voluminous documentation, and numerous site visits, the U.S. Federal Emergency Management Agency has provided official notification approving the replacement of the entire wastewater system on the island of St. Croix, with a projected cost of $1.5 to $2 billion. Considering the condition, age, and deterioration of wastewater facilities and components since the storms, as well as the necessary upgrades to meet industry requirements. FEMA has determined that all 14 watersheds are eligible for replacement. This notification acknowledges the indisputable impact of the last 10 hurricanes, which has left the island system in ominous disrepair and highly susceptible to future damage, said the Office of Disaster Recovery. The environmental cost of sewage overflows and recurring repairs place an overwhelming burden on the local waste management authority and on the territory. The Office of Disaster Recovery said this approval will be used as a blueprint for the wastewater replacement requests for St. Thomas and St. John, as well as a potable water system replacement request to FEMA. The Virgin Islands Waste Management Authority and the Office of Disaster Recovery will continue working jointly with FEMA to address wastewater system damage across the U.S. Virgin Islands. 
WebWire reports that the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's efforts to educate and train community leaders and contractors about lead hazards is welcome news in Puerto Rico, especially since much of the housing on the island was constructed before 1978 ban on lead-based paints. Earlier this fall, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency launched the Training and Outreach Initiative Enhanced Lead Safe Work Practices through education and outreach. These efforts are meant to raise awareness about childhood lead exposure and protect environmentally overburdened and underserved communities across the United States from lead exposure. According to the EPA announcement on the new initiative, many homes, apartments, and childcare facilities built before 1978 contained lead-based paints. When disturbed, lead-based paints can release toxic lead dust and cause lead exposure, which is particularly harmful to children. While lead is dangerous to all children, lead exposure disproportionately impacts low-income families and their communities, making the free training offered by the Enhanced Lead Safe Work Practices through education and outreach an important step toward achieving environmental justice. Part of the EPA program encourages renovation, repair, and painting firms and contractors working on pre-1978 homes to become renovation, repair, and painting certified. Anyone who is paid to perform work that does paint in housing and child-occupied facilities built before 1978 per the lead renovation repair and painting rule must be certified and this training is designed to equip contractors and firms with the tools they need to serve their communities and adhere to the lead renovation paint and repair rule. These efforts include multiple Spanish language renovation repair and painting training sessions that took place in San Juan, Puerto Rico earlier this month and throughout October. Bahamanews.net reports that trade unions on the French Caribbean island of Martinique have called for general strikes as of Monday. Their demands include an end to mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations, a salary hike, and free testing for chloridacone, a pesticide used in banana plantations. Meanwhile, in neighboring Guadeloupe, elite police have begun dismantling barricades erected during a week of unrest sparked by measures to curb COVID-19. The call for the general strike on Martinique with a list of 13 demands was signed by 20 trade unions in Martinique on November 15 and began yesterday, Monday, November 22nd. Oil refinery workers, guards from Ducos Prison, and workers from across transport, education, fishing sectors have all decided to join the strike. The actions will not include blocking roads, as has been suggested on social media, according to Bertrand Cumbesy, the secretary for the CSTM union speaking to local television. There will be meaningful actions, but nothing to penalize the general population, he said. However, tension is high and there are concerns the situation could spiral out of control, as it did in the neighboring island of Guadeloupe, where elite police have been sent 
to restore order. The residents of the French Overseas Territory are angry about a wide range of issues. The mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations appears to have ignited the violence. Barbados Today reports that Barbados's Minister of Energy, Small Business and Entrepreneurship, Carrie Simmons, has defended government's policy of 100% renewable energy by 2030, while describing government's multi-million annual spending in fossil fuel imports as unsustainable. The minister expressed this view yesterday while delivering the feature address at the Virtual Barbados Sustainability Energy conference. He told virtual participants that removing between 400 to 700 million in fuel importation annually from the country's budget placed the sector in a position to serve as a catalyst for national growth. Mr. Simmons said the illogic of the pattern of expenditure that I just outlined was vigorously drawn to our attention by the Inter-American Development Bank study, which took place between 2008 and 2010 in this country. That, in turn, gave birth to Barbados's sustainable energy framework. The minister recapped the journey from the targets set in 2010 to be 29% fossil fuel free by 2037 to present revised 2030 targets. The energy minister commended the technical officers in the Division of Energy who are currently working with the Barbados National Oil Company Limited on switching mechanisms to assist the government with the commercial introduction and supply of biodiesel. Mr. Simmons explained this move was necessary in view of the fact that government's intention to decarbonize the transportation sector has simply outstriped the pace at which the global vehicle manufacturers are going and quite frankly can go. As I speak to you, therefore, there are a number of makes, models, and types of vehicles, especially in heavy-duty construction sector in Barbados, that have neither a hybrid or electric equivalent. Barbados is therefore ahead of most of the world with respect to the commitment to build out a clean and green green transportation sector, he underlined. The conference under the theme, Championing Our Future to Sustainable Energy Sector, featured a number of panel discussions on topics such as energy transition, electricity mobility, wind energy as an alternative, energy source, and financing options for the energy sector and the virtual expo and networking session. St. Lucia Times reports that the Pan-American Health Organization has launched PAOLA, the world's first digital health work specializing in alcohol and health. The Pan-American Health Organization, PAOLA, will help countries in the region reduce increasing rates of harmful drinking. Alcohol is the leading risk factor for premature mortality and disability among people ages 15 and 49 years of age. Dr. Tedros Adhanom, Director General of the World Health Organization, said in a video message to Friday's webinar launch of the initiative. He said that any and every tool that can help people reduce their risk and lead a healthier life is welcome. 
The World Health Organization said Paola could give general information about the risk of drinking in an interactive and confidential format and assess alcohol-related risk. The initiative, available in English, Spanish, and Portuguese, can also refer people to alcohol treatment services. However, Pan American Health Organization Assistant Director Dr. Jarbas Babosa explained that the intention of Paola is not to replace direct contact with health professionals, but to encourage people to seek help. Alcohol consumption takes a heavy toll in the Americas, leading to about 379,000 deaths annually from related diseases, injuries, intoxication, and poisoning. Regular alcohol consumption also increases the risk for liver cirrhosis and some significant forms of cancer and cardiovascular diseases. And finally, the Caribbean Journal reports that another major carrier has returned to Antigua and Barbuda. This time, it's a leading Canadian leisure airline, WestJet, which officially returned to the Twin Island Nations this week. WestJet is now operating a weekly Sunday flight between Toronto and Antigua's VC Bird International Airport. Next month, WestJet will be increasing the service to twice each week. This has been your Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Tuesday, November 23rd. I'm Keisha Wallace. For more Caribbean news stories and information, visit us online at pulseofthecaribbean.com. And be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Now, Meta.